0: This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing
1: Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I'm April Martini. And this is part two of our series on becoming a freelancer. So pause right there. If you haven't listened to part one, we highly recommend that you do that first because in that episode, we cover a lot of the tactical steps. So what do you do to get your business started? In this part, we're going to cover more of the operation and promotion. And now that you have an established business, what do you do with it? So just if you haven't listened to that, go back. Otherwise, we're really going to shift from the tactical aspects of establishing the businesses to doing work in the business. And this is where it really gets real. So we have talked about that sort of paralyzing fear that happens when you first decide to go on your own. This is probably the secondary uh, bout of that, if you will, where you actually have to go and do something.
0: Yeah, I know this was a big one for me. I mean, questions like, do I really know what I what I know? Is this something people are actually going to buy? Are they actually going to hire me? What if I fail? How much do I charge? Like all those questions that just want to make you not do anything.
1: And this is normal. So let's just say that from the beginning. But it's really about what do you do with it? And in the first part of this episode in you know, the previous Part one, I guess we'll say, we did talk a lot about the journey. And that's the important part to think about here. So it's okay to feel fear, but you have to go and do something with it. And you really need to make sure that you focus on the ups. and the downs in different ways. So one of the things that Ann and I have learned about ourselves, kind of a blind spot that we share, is we don't do a great job of celebrating the successes. And I think as a result, the downs feel a lot harder because we'll get a new client. We'll be like, yay, okay, let's get to work. Now what do we need to do? Versus when things aren't going so well, it's like all of a sudden we forget that we've had all of this success. And so I think you have to take moments In all of those parts, again, back to that journey analogy, being an entrepreneur is just like life. There's ups and there's downs, and it's what you do with them. And the good part about this is we're here for you, so you don't have to do it by yourself. Um, And what we're going to focus on today is really how to operationalize and promote your business so that when you have these moments of fear, you know what to go and do with them.
0: Yeah, and I think going back to your point about celebrating the successes, I think the one that um, is going to be really good for new entrepreneurs to know is that uh, money isn't necessarily success. So <laughs> you have to find different ways of like r- r- what the success looks like. Like maybe it is you just got your new client or maybe you did really exceptional work and the work was really good. Or, you know, um, you started a podcast and people seem to like your podcast. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it, the, what uh, Tom Billy is one of my, my faves. Um, he was one of the co-founders of the Billion Dollar Business uh, Quest. And as well as he has his own podcast, Impact Theory, which is phenomenal as well. He always says that the struggle is guaranteed, but the success is not. So just you have to embrace the journey. So if you, you don't hear from us, you can turn on any podcast from any entrepreneur and they will tell you the exact same thing, um, that it's going to take the grit. It's going to take the perseverance. It's going to take the determination, but you need to learn to embrace the journey. You need to learn how to celebrate your wins because that is what you're going to get the most satisfaction out of at the end of
1: the day, probably. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so we have our top four today. On the last episode, we messed up and said five and it was seven. No, this week it really is four. And these are the things that we feel like, again, once you get off the ground and you say, I have a name, I have a company, I have an LLC, I have the EIN, all those fundamental things, you can go and actually start doing business. And so at the end of the last episode, we talked about creating a name. And where I'm going to start today is what comes kind of after that. Because you have to have the pieces or the toolkit, if you will, to go and communicate. So this one's all about creating a logo and then establishing the marketing channels and the collateral around that that makes sense for your business. Very first point I want to make here. You do not have to do everything at once. You do not need to have all social channels, a website, handouts, posters, flyers, business cards. No, you just need to pick a couple of things and go with it. The logo is important because along with the importance of your name, it should cue, if done right, to your clients, to people you want to work with, to potential employees, what you stand for. And it should work together with the name itself to bring that to life. But the logo can't do all the work itself. And especially being in the digital age, you need other things that extend beyond that to allow it to continue to move and change and morph, but come back to the same message. So that is things that we talk about, like your color palette, your photography choices, any iconography you want to use, textures, all of the fonts, all of those things make up your toolkit along with your tone of voice. So this is that brand character, the way you want to speak, what you want to stand for, what you don't want to stand for. And this toolkit is sort of like your Bible. It shouldn't be too long, especially in the beginning. I mean, a PDF of one to two pages, that spells out the verbals and the visuals, but it really becomes the playbook by which you execute anything. And from there, you should be choiceful about what kind of material and content you want to create and where you want to put it. So our very first podcast was about websites and really the mistakes that people make when it comes to websites. But we put that one out first on purpose because we feel that in this day and age with COVID and with the digital age put together, you have to have a website. That is the first place someone's going to go either to find you or after they meet you, they will go to make sure that you're actually a legit company. So all that visualization and verbalization you put together should be put to work pretty immediately in that place. If you want to do social first, it's up to you. I think Anne and I caution against this sometimes right off the bat because it's a ton of work and can suck a lot of time. So if you are lucky enough to have clients in the beginning, I would say just be careful about that because if you're going to do it, you need to do it right. And that means spending a good amount of your time on it. In addition believe it or not, business cards are important to have. I know we just talked about digital and all of that, and we're not seeing people in person as often right now. But for whatever reason, that still seems to be something that speaks to people. It says you're legit. It says you're a company. There's still the exchange of cards around the table if you happen to be in person with people. So we would say that's another one, another staple to have. And Beyond that, have something else that speaks to what you do that can live in electronic and printed form. So for Anne and me early on, it was a one pager. That way we could explain pretty succinctly what we did, what services we offered, who we were, you know, why we were together and why you would want us as we preach most often. Um, and. Those were kind of our starting materials and the things that made sense for our business to go and say, OK, this is our credibility, but also this is how we're speaking and communicating consistently.
0: Yeah, and I think in addition to that, we also developed our LinkedIn presence, too, right. because that's a very business-oriented way to network. Um, yes. So when we say social, we're, you know, Facebook Instagram, Pinterest, all those other social sites, which may you may need if you're selling a product per se, because those are really yes. good places for product to live. But if you're talking about freelancing, usually your LinkedIn is the primary source of where you're going to do your first level of networking. So that we do believe is a, is a good place to start establishing your credibility and your reputation along with the, uh, the website. So, um and if this is all feeling kind of daunting we do offer a fast start package it's a actually a perfect gift for the entrepreneur in your life you know as christmas is coming <laughs> around and new year's resolutions but we will take that and we'll 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 put this all together for you in a very efficient package that's going to give you your your logo your colors your your um your, your playbook, if you will, just to give you a place to start because you're going to want it when you brief anybody else, right, April? Like It's yes. like what you're going to give to anybody else who's going to do any work on your business at all um, as your business grows and scales or as you have influencers
1: who may come on board that also are going to speak on behalf of your business. Yes. And honestly, this year, we've done a ton of these. And I'm sure you're sitting there scratching your head and thinking, especially being an entrepreneur, this seems like a steep expense. You know, Is this really something I should do? But what we see is too many times people don't do it. And they grab a logo from Fiverr and they're like, oh, I can pick pictures. And they go do all this stuff themselves. And at some point, as their company gets going, inevitably, there is a time where they're like, shoot, I don't have all the things that I need. And when you're trying to go Backward, especially when you've already been in the marketplace, it can be really hard to do that. And so we've had a mix of both. We've had instances where people come to us and they know they need this stuff and we're able to help coach them through what all the pieces are. But we've also had ones this year that come and say, shoot, I didn't get this right from the beginning. Now I need to go and recreate. But either way, you've got to have the toolkit and it just makes everything else easier if you do it in the beginning. Whether you hire us, which we would love or you go to someone else, just please spend the time to do that right. All right. The second one, which I am going to hand off to Anne, set a price structure and develop a proposal template. Yes. Like I
0: said, trying to figure out how much to charge was probably one of the most daunting things I had to do because one of the answer to what should I charge is really, well, what are people are going to pay? And this is why it's very important to develop your brand from the get-go. When we talk about providing value that's above and beyond what you actually do, that is actually what people are gonna pay for. They're gonna pay for that that value because what you're gonna how you're gonna do it is gonna be almost in some cases more important than what you do. So generally, when you start out, though, all that still being true, is you're going to charge on the lower end of the price structure. That's just a case. And this was one thing I even learned coming from P&G, where I know what I paid for other people who were doing my work, because I paid the agency. So I knew what their hourly rate was. And even if I deducted for overhead, and I could kind of reasonably figure out what they were going to charge, and what I could charge in, in addition to. But the difference was, is They were already established and they were working in the context of their agency. I was uh, brand new, fresh to the world, and I really had to establish myself as a entrepreneur. So, yes, I had my P&G creds to back me up, and that was important. But I think the one thing I learned was that you have to respect the process. You really need to learn to... um, be a little bit humble in as especially as you're starting out and realize that the expectations that clients are gonna have of you, especially as you know, you're starting out, is gonna be um you know it's gonna be ones of the fact that you're still kind of getting your feet wet. So you have to just kinda of understand that, you know, you might not be able to charge the the top prime dollar that you're eventually going to be worth from the get-go. Um, you can do your research you can like see what people are paying as a going rate you can can Google that and, and, and get an idea but the best way that uh, April and I have really uh, found that um, you can dial this in much more quickly is by giving a tiered proposal so you call it gold silver bronze tier one two three whatever you want to call it is is fine but what it allows you to do is it allows you to scale the work according to a rate. And so your tier one may be more simple your tier two is a little bit more an additional scope and your tier three is you know the, the maximum amount of scope. What we find is that most of the time people will kind of gear more towards the middle so your middle should be like the one that you actually really want people to buy. Don't be surprised though if they pick the tier one to begin and then they want to, increase as you go so that's the other way of showing hey we can start here and then we can add these things on as uh, you find that you need them and as your relationship with the client grows right what this helps you do is avoid those like harrowing negotiations where you put a price out there say you want to charge two thousand for doing this work and your client goes well you know what I don't really have 2,000, but I really need all this work. And all of a sudden you feel like you're selling a car and you say, well, okay, well then fine. I'll give you this work for uh 1500, but you're giving those the same amount of work. All that doing is devaluing your, your brand and what your value is and you need to stand by your brand and your value in these cases. So what what you then do is you then reduce your scope. Sure, I can give it to you that price. It's going to be this amount. And then maybe we can add these things on as we you know, get a little bit more established or, or, or understand a little bit more about what the work is. So try the tiered proposal. It works. Try also to price per deliverable. Versus pricing per hourly rate, because the value that you bring is not only in the work you're doing, but if you've structured your brand well in the expertise that you're in which you're doing it, they need to pay for that as well. It can't encompass that in, in just an hourly rate. I mean, what you were going to pay, you know, you could do an hour is actually going to be of more incremental value than just the amount that you're going to charge for an hour. So think about what the deliverable is set your proposal up as that deliverable and not just the work but what you are producing that's going to help them whether it's a a social strategy that's going to take your business to the next level said very generically you know obviously you find a better way of saying that but it's something that's very business oriented that allows them to see that the impact you're delivering has a lot more value than just the
1: work you're doing yes and i i think the other thing is well, we're sure there's some kind of psychology around this tiered thing because it absolutely does work. I will reinforce that 100% because I think it's almost like the client has the allowance to negotiate with themselves without us in the room. Um, And it allows them to choose, which I think makes them feel a little bit more comfortable. But I think a lot of what happens is you get into the dog and pony show too quite quickly if you don't just move things along yourself. So I think with that tiered approach, Ann and I are taking initiative and saying, I hear what you're saying. We've also done this a bunch of times. Here's what we've seen based on your industry. And then that deliverable-based um approach i think lets them see what they're going to get and then pick what they want to get and feel a little bit more in control of things i think the way speaking again from the agency model the way that we worked for so many years was you had this like timeline or approach or steps or whatever that was kind of patented, if you will, by the agency. And so we were a bit inflexible and we would say, well, it's going to be a $30,000 immersion phase and then we'll get to the work and that's going to take six to eight weeks and we'll get something in market in three to four months. Well, that's not how the world works anymore. So I think Anne's point about being deliverable-based has become important, too, and saying it in a way that they understand. I mean, do they know what a verbal and visual toolkit is all the time? No, that's our job to explain it. But if we explain it in terms of it's your logos, your colors, your photography, that's phase one, and then we'll add on icons and sample designs phase two, like they can pretty easily navigate between what they're getting and what the trade-offs are within the proposal we have.
0: And also to make it time-bound, right? Yes. So that was the other thing um, that is a really important point is make sure when you set up your proposal that you're getting paid on the deliverable, not when they say it's all done. Yes. And make sure you specify how many iterations you plan to do of the work so you're not stuck in this you know, horrible do loop of them wanting to change a little thing here and a little thing there just to avoid – paying you or and, and or having you know the work completed so two big uh, suggestions there as well
1: yes so the next one we have is start to market your business so with Anne being the one that was more of the bring it to life experience i'll hand this one to her too yes yeah, so this one also was one that
0: cost me a little bit of consternation um, but really the way to start marketing your business is to make a list of everyone you know in your network who would appreciate your talents and then you start to reach out to them. And this was really really hard for me because I was the one or I felt like I was always the one that was supposed to know everything. I didn't need necessarily anybody's help. And that was just kind of by you know my personal brand as I was that was just how I felt like people saw me. So to actually have to now go ask people for help was really, really hard. But what I learned was that, you know, this is not a time to be shy and that the business and my desire to have the business was worth that to me. If you're going to sit at home and you're not going to take those steps to do things that are hard because they make you uncomfortable, again, probably um, a sign that you may not be totally ready for this. You're gonna have to break out of your comfort zone and do things that make you uncomfortable. But what I learned very, very quickly on was that there was a ton of reciprocity, and that was something I didn't totally expect Um, in people that I, you know, didn't think maybe would want to help me as much were. People who actually turned out to be the ones who were the most helpful, and part of that was a little surprising to me because I was like, "Why do they want to help me?" And then it, what I when I finally kind of asked somebody, they're like, "Well, somebody help me, you know." And so it's all there's, it, that's a really awesome thing about the communities and entrepreneurship communities is like it it feels like in general that there's always a paying it back, paying it forward kind of mentality. I also realized that a lot of the work that I'd put into helping these people along in my career um, is now that it was their opportunity to kind of give something back to me, and that was a little uh, unexpected as well because I was I, and because I, I really I was like why why I mean I just didn't understand and then I started looking back I was like oh, you know what I gave them a lot of business. And they want to help me, you know. And so there is a reciprocity thing here that is really important, and that you need to um, acknowledge. And it's okay to leverage that, but you can sweeten the deal. So there's things you can definitely do to sweeten the deal. So first, you can offer a discount. Um, you and I, we just said about valuing your work, but when you overtly offer the discount, you offer it on the conditions that you're offering it. It, it sets a precedent and it's okay. So in this case, you might say, hey, you know, I know you and I were just starting out. I'd be happy to, you know, do this as a trial basis or I'm gonna I'm piloting this, you know, so I'm taking a little bit of money off of it. So there's always a rationale for why you're doing a discount. You don't just give a discount, but it, it is a basis for helping to get a way in. You can offer a referral fee for any business that they're going to give you. That is a big thing in the world of entrepreneurship. There's a lot of referral fees um, that that you can be gained if, they, you, know, if you give them 10% of whatever um, your uh, the business that you get as a thank you for uh, connecting. Um, start engaging in groups. Um, start creating content so that you can start um, really developing an equity for yourself, a reputation for yourself, credibility the whole objective here is just to start planting lots of seeds and really be vigilant. And you've heard us say before, vigilance means you fertilizing and watering your seeds. It doesn't mean you're standing back and watching them and waiting for them to grow. So you want to plant a lot of seeds. You want to make sure that you are really connecting and networking in a way that is going to be conducive to growing your business. Offer some ways in that makes it easier for people to say yes. Uh, money-back guarantee is another one. And that's another one that um, really worked for us. So... And more for me specifically, was when I was getting up, when I was willing to put my money where my mouth was, I mean, that was a um, a big signal to people that, hey, you know, it might be worth the risk. And did so, they ever
1: ask for the money back?
0: And they never asked for the money back. And nobody ever does. Um, there's lots of us who have done this as a way of trying and in, in, in really uh, getting people to take a bet on us. And I have not heard one person say that they got, you know, asked for their money back. So,
1: Yeah. Yes, and I would say to uh to the point I made first about, you know, building the tools and then going and being in places, part of this too is it's putting yourself out there, but I think it's also balancing that with doing things that you feel like you're good at or that will be easier for you. Meaning, if you're like me and you love long-form content, blogging is probably great for you. Podcasting is also great for me for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, writing Facebook posts and being super catchy and clever, like I can do it for my clients for some reason, I have a block when it comes to myself. Like it, it just it depends what actually works for you. And you want to make sure, yes, to put yourself out there and all those things that Ann said to market the business. But since you don't have all the hours and all the time to do all of it, make sure you do things that you feel like are authentic to you because otherwise people will feel it, right? I mean, then they won't feel like it's as authentic, all of those types of things. All right. And the last one I'll take. Just try it. I talked in the first episode right at the end about perfectionism. This was a tough one for me. It's always been a tough one for me. But There really is no way to control with 100% certainty that all of the things you're going to do and put out there are going to go off all the time without a hitch. And I think if you treat that as freeing, there is an authenticity to trial and also just the expectation anymore because of the digital world that we're in where people have more patience, more allowance for things. They're used to seeing things a certain way anymore anymore. And so the smarter thing to do is to adopt kind of a learn-as-you-go mentality. So similar to what Ann said about not waiting for the phone to ring or not waiting for your seeds to grow and making sure you're cultivating them, testing and learning is a similar manifestation of this because what you're saying is, okay, I have this idea. This is definitely in line with what I set out to do for my business. Do I know exactly from A to Z how to make it happen? No, but I know enough To know that I can get it out there and try it. And then if it doesn't go perfectly the first time, I'll just fix as I go. And I think that allows you and has allowed us, honestly, a way to pivot with intention throughout the entire process of what we're doing. Anne and I have 35 collective years of experience. We believe that we've seen most things and can solve most problems. But is everything exactly something that we've done before? No. So we try things, we learn, and then we make it better as we go. And that's the way we work. And that's 100% what we would encourage for all of you.
0: Right. I think because if you are locked in this mindset that it has to be absolutely perfect, it almost sets yourself up to be in a pass-fail mm-hmm. situation, right? Like you build it all up in your head. You've worked so incredibly hard. And if it doesn't go quite right, it's going to be like the ultimate like disaster failure. And, it, and it's hard not to feel that way. So the the really allowing yourself some flexibility where it's like, baked enough, but you are still kind of uh, testing the waters and, and do it with intention. I mean, it's not just like, well, I'm just going to throw everything against the, you know, the the you know, spaghetti against the wall, and see what sticks or against the dartboard, you know, and see what, what lands. It's you're doing it with intention and you're doing it with some level of expectation in mind. But realize you're just putting out a bunch of hypothesis, right? It's mm-hmm. like, if I do this, I think this is going to happen. I've laid out all the stuff that I think is going to work in order to deliver that well. And if it delivers that well, it's like, great, let's do more of that. Or let's kind of refine it. If it doesn't go right, like, oh, well, that didn't go quite as expected. Why not? You know, so it becomes an exercise, like we've said, of really embracing the journey um, and really understanding that it's going to, just have to flex. It's going, you're going to have to pivot. It's not going to be exactly what you think it is. We, none of our businesses have been exactly what we thought about, you know, and I, It's but it's been a a welcome, you know, where it's like, I didn't even know this was possible, you know, and uh, things open up that you didn't expect them to because you are allowing them to. Yes,
1: exactly right. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. What we usually do, right, is the in the trenches, which is where we typically address situations that have been put to us or people have asked us questions about based on specific industries. Since this topic is a little bit different, what we're going to do is go through challenges that any freelancer would face. So not necessarily specific or through the lens of any particular business. And what you'll hear in this section is Anne and I philosophically, I think we agree on the use of these things, but we use them differently and to different degrees. So this first one we have here is all around the idea. And this is a big one, you guys. Potential clients want to see examples of my work, but I'm just starting out. And I have a ton of experience, but what can I share from my previous life that's gonna be okay since it wasn't done under my new company? And so this is tough, absolutely. Um, I think it depends and there's lots of gray and, you know, if you're coming from P&G versus you're coming from the agency world, totally different sets of rules, but there are definite ways to get around it. And there are people out there that have done it successfully many times over. So we have some things that we've both done and I think we'll just kind of take you through some examples of those. And like I said, you'll, you'll hear different ways that we approached it. So one of the ones I'll bring up is leveraging your background. Um, I've talked about the journey to getting to where I am today and really pragmatically learning different skills. Um, What I think that means for me is that I have examples that apply just about anywhere, whether I have specific experience in X industry or with X size of client, et cetera, et cetera. And so for me, I leverage those skills and experiences to tell stories that connect back to the client's challenge where they tend to go, oh, that is what I'm facing. And for me, that's something that works time and time again because I'm putting into real life and feeding back to them how I empathize but also understand the challenge and have worked through those before.
0: Yeah. I mean, and really when you start out, that's all you, you got to yeah. some extent is you have your background. And this is where it becomes really important when we talked about what do you sell, that you become very specific about your role in these activities. And like I said, this is not a time to be shy or, you know, to, to really under uh, undermine your, your, your contributions here because people are going to really want to know, what you did so Mm -hmm. take the credit for it and it doesn't have to be necessarily you know you're the leader of everything and you were you know god's gift to brand building and marketing it's the fact that you created an an element of the program that nobody else was able to create Mm -hmm. and that becomes an element of, of what you sell that becomes very important for a potential client and if you don't have the experience um go get some. Mm-hmm. So, um it, you know, a lot of other things that like I've heard other entrepreneurs do is they um will go to their local church or or a local um uh, like philanthropy or somebody who needs the help, and they'll offer to do some of this work for them, so that they can have a body of work for which to show, and that becomes a basis for which then you're able to show something um, of what you do. Um, so it really depends on the in, in your field in the context for which you're you're freelancing, but there's always a way of creating something. And just because it's not for somebody that's actually paying you doesn't mean it's not necessarily good quality work that you can then generate and show potential clients to build some immediate reputation.
1: Yes. And I think the the other piece is you can you can talk about clients that you've worked with and for before. Now I think this matters to different degrees depending on the clients, but it's always okay to say who you worked with. I mean companies don't typically have a problem with that. I mean even the PNGs of the world are okay with these out there saying I worked at X agency and I worked on these businesses. You're not giving away trade secrets, but you're you're showing your chops, right? And I think that's another piece that can stick in people's minds of well, if they did it for them, they can probably do it for me. Um, The watch out there is just to make sure that clients don't feel too small, though. So in an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. situation, you may not be working with the caliber of clients that you did at your previous job. So I would say address that quickly, too, because I think there is some shyness or some, you know, we don't have that much money or that much time or that many resources or we're not that sophisticated. Those kinds of things come into play. But I think if you... If you have the ability to mention your kind of roster of who you worked on, that can also build your credibility.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good one as well. And I think it's, you know, try some things out again, like what we just said, just just try it. I mean. So for me, um, I I needed to build reputation. So I volunteered my time to go into um, local groups and speak. And speaking for me was not an easy thing to do. Getting in front of groups and and speaking, I could do it in meetings and like where there was like a facilitated topic or discussion. I never had a problem like stating my opinion. But actually having all the attention on me and standing in front of a, a group and actually sharing something that was. Um, very much in time to like my point of view was very difficult. So um, I volunteered to go in and talk to the Hellman Accelerator Program and talk to their cohorts and shared a lot of my brand love strategy work for um, – them, And just to get their reactions, help them, you know, they helped me refine it. I, I asked them, I'm like, right, I'm like, well, what what value did you get of this? And so they were able to, to refine it for me too about what value there was. Um, they actually were the ones who encouraged me to write a book so that I could have a marketing piece that actually was able to, um I, I could leverage that, that stated the philosophy and in the process of, of brand love and cultivating brand love. And I could leverage that as a piece that people then could understand the whole concept of what I was I was doing. And that became a marketing tool. I mean, so there's a lots of things that you can do in order to start really building a little bit of credibility and reputation. And then I could leverage that. I didn't get paid for that. That's fine. But I could say, hey, I, I've i been speaking at cohorts uh, or to cohorts at um, these accelerator programs and I've been understanding and learning what they need and how I can translate my experience, my P, big P&G experience into uh, 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 an offering in work that's going to be a benefit to smaller businesses to the point that you were making about being careful that you're, you know, recognizing who you're speaking to and making sure you're meeting them at their at that level. So um, that's another one I'm finding, you know, really helpful, and others are, are as well, is that take any opportunity you can to get in front of people, practice what you are selling, and they will be able to help you refine
1: it. Well, and what I also heard you say there was around creating content, right? Yeah. So you're getting your practice, yes, but then you go and you write a book. Uh, I think pretty quickly, and, and this is something, honestly, I learned from you, Anne, I, I was much more of the mind of, well, my work is really strong and it will speak for itself, which was true. And that's just the way that I I approached mm-hmm. how I sold. It was, I've done this before, here it is, whatever. But in my point of view came in more in the consultative nature once I got into that client versus now, I think the idea of being pragmatic about putting your point of view out there and having the things to show what you think is really important. So, you know, I started blogging when I met you, and we put those on our site together. And then, you know, now we're doing this podcast. But I think the point is that we are, yes, creating content, yes, putting ourselves out there. But what I find is we really solidify and better our point of view through that process of content creation um, and allow ourselves to develop and like hear what we're saying almost to then go and use it as a sales tool even more with clients. And so and I feel like we're starting to really broaden our content at this point and our journey to put it out there in different places, in different formats, all of those types of things as our body of work and all of that stuff grows as we've matured in the journey that foundation has allowed us to kind of ladder up.
0: Yeah, I, I agree because that becomes, again, your body of work and it becomes the value Above and beyond just what you do. So when people are are buying us and they're in in and they're buying what we're selling, we're selling that whole philosophy, that whole viewpoint, that whole experience, that whole expertise, that thought leadership, everything that that comes with it, and that is a you know a, a, a bigger offering than just doing the work. So it becomes part of the brand, and that is helps when you don't have as much case studies, if you mm-hmm. will, and all those other things, is you have this other body of work that you can share that really uh, helps to express the type of person you're going to be one to work with into the type of way you're going to um, deliver the work.
1: Yeah. So they get to know you yeah. almost before they actually get to know you, which I think another approach we've taken and has been successful is showing value immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So a way to get around having a case study. And even if you have experience, but it's not in the industry, sometimes that can get a little bit odd where people want you to have really like specific, like I've worked in this industry before. So, a way we found is to give them our perspective on what they're doing and not tell them how to go mm-hmm. solve it, because that's giving away your work for free. And, you know, we don't want to get into that. But we're telling them, these are the challenges we see with what you're doing. And we always do it based in the things we do. So recently, we redid someone's social strategy, right? But the first step to selling in that work was to show our credibility by saying, hey, you know, we spent some time and, here's a list of five or six things that we just don't think are working for you and therefore you're not getting the engagement you're looking for. Call us if you're interested in hearing more. And I mean, it was like an immediate response. Yes, you're exactly right. These are the things we think about. We want you to sign on and work for us. And so I don't think we even ever had to give like a portfolio or anything because we'd already shown that we knew what we were talking about and that we could go and solve for it.
0: Yeah, I think that is a, a one that's a been extremely extremely helpful because, um, it does, it does, it just shows that, you know, what you're talking about. And I think that that, it becomes very, um, helpful for people when they're trying to figure out, you know, should I go do this work? Should I invest in this work? Is it, you know, the right work for me to go do right now? being able to lean in and give somebody a little piece of value that they can actually do something with immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what you did too is like you gave them like, you might want to try this and it mm-hmm. was a small something. So not giving away the farm, but giving them one little thing to go try and when they tried it and it actually worked, they were like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so, again, those are just, I mean, that is a really fundamental one. Um, again, as as April said, we caution not to go too far. We've made that mistake ourselves. Yes. Um, where we, you know, get so excited about helping and so passionate about helping that we can't give away too much. And, um, then they decided they didn't need us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or they didn't need to pay us. To yeah, really they didn't need to pay them. us, you
0: know? <laughs> and so we're like, oh, well, that kind of, like, was not what we intended. So um, don't do that. And you'll know. Your gut will tell you, like, when you've, you're have you giving away too much. But, you know, especially early on, you can't be overly stingy either. Um, the worst-case scenario is that you get that experience. You kind of learn um, what is the, the – the limit there and then you're better off for your your next client but it, it just gives you again that data and that feedback and that was like that leads to another one like i had mentioned it before but i think i still think works really well is give them some value but then give them some sort of guarantee mm-hmm. you know and that worked really well for me to get with some of my first clients which was hey listen i know i can help you i i feel confident that i can help you if i don't help you i will give you your money back and because really, uh, the only thing that I had that was like at risk there was my time, really. And so I was willing to risk that because I really felt like I could help these people. And like you said, um, they never asked for their money back, mm-hmm. um, and nobody else who's tried it has. So if you really believe that you're, you know, offering something of tangible value that people are going to buy and they're going to appreciate, don't hesitate to put up that guarantee. Now it doesn't work for everything, and you shouldn't do it on an ongoing basis for everything, because eventually you'll build your credibility and reputation where you don't offer the guarantee anymore. But in, in these early stages, it doesn't hurt, and it makes people feel, hey, this person is invested. They they get it. They not only really understand my business because they've given me a little bit of value. Um, they it, they're showing that you know they're extremely relevant, and they're showing that. Um, They uh, understand the dynamics that I'm facing and, you know, why not? Why wouldn't they? So, um, yeah, that's that's another one I think that's worked really well. I will say that that one gives me
1: heartburn, you guys, Yes, yeah. <laughs> as the more risk-averse one. Um, and that brings us to another one here about partnering with someone who has the expertise, which we've talked about our journey and the fact that we did that very intentionally with each other. But I can tell you that when Anne brings me some of these hairbrain ideas, when I first hear them... brain <laughs> What? <laughs> when I heard money-back guarantee, I was like, you are insane. Um, but, I mean, her point is right, right? Like, if you... If you can do the work, you can put that out there. And I would also offer the caution that you don't want to do that all the time. And that sets a kind of a strange precedent. But the point is well taken, which is you literally are putting your money where your mouth is. And if you're bold enough and brave enough to do that, then you must know what you're talking about. What other hair brand ideas have I brought? is <laughs> <I'm just> curious. <laughs> I don't know when I, I when I we first one. started down the PR path, which is not my area of expertise. And I was being told that I was gonna, you know, interview and be on podcasts and all these things. Like I said, the self promotion wasn't so natural to me. And so while I felt strong in my personal brand, I was like, man, she's really making me put myself out there. <laughs> hairbrained <laughs> at the time, not hairbrained anymore. <laughs> Okay, so we talked about a lot of things in that section. So let me just recap quickly. Um, The things that really help you get out of your own way or get out of the way of the question around work and, and hard examples are leveraging your background in creative ways. So speaking to the type of work you've done or your client list, if applicable, create content, put it out there. Ask people what they think, uh, which is the point Anne made, and do that creatively. You know, volunteer your time, or or do a trade, or you know those types of things, so you get the experience you need. Leverage your network, uh, tap into the people you know that want to help you. Offer the money back guarantee with all the cautions we talked about. Provide immediate value, which that's one you heard me talk about that I really love, is, is showing your chops, if you will, right off the bat. And finally, partnering with someone who's already legit, which is obviously what Ann and I did. Uh, so a couple more things to cover so you saying I was a legit one? <laughs> okay, fine. You were the legit. We're both legit. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I knew she was going to get me back for that. <laughs> um, a couple ideas. other things that we've had people either we have struggled with or, or freelancers have asked us about is once you get into the work, how do you avoid things like scope creep or, oh, shoot, I undervalued the work or I'm stuck in this now? Kind of how do you, well, not get yourself in those situations, but if they do happen, what do you do? And I think this is tricky, right? Because you heard Ann talk about the fact that you can't necessarily jump in and charge a crazy price when you're just starting out. And so you have to be mindful of that. But on the other side, you definitely don't want to get in a place where you're undervaluing the work that you're providing. So I'll tell you right now, we do not price for hourly rate ever. Unless we're truly consulting with someone and it's above and beyond that they want us to teach them things or whatever, that would be the only instance we charge based on the value of what we're doing. And we just don't have the conversations anymore about the hours because the value we give is so much more than the hours. So. That's one thing. But when you do that, you have to be really honest about what they're going to get out of it and what the value is going to be. And there are definitely moments that things go south or expectations weren't properly met. Um, In these situations, we say have as much grace as you possibly can, but also know when to cut it off if things just aren't working out. And that might mean okay, you need to pay me for the work and I'm completely getting out. Or it may just be a conversation of like, hey guys, you know, the original scope was supposed to be one round of revisions. We've given you two more. We're kind of at a point where we can't do this anymore. Um, Being respectful is important, but also just being respectful of yourself in those situations and making sure that you're staying true to how you want to work, who you want to work with and the type of stuff you're willing and not to do.
0: Yes. And I think if you're, a corporate person like I was, and you're listening to this, um, <laughs> you're probably you know feeling some of the uh, uh, some of the same thoughts that I initially had, had too, which was like, you know what. Um, it- that's their problem. If it's not right, then I get to have like ten iterations, mm-hmm. right? And you know, and 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 those are th- conversations that are you know really hard to have, especially in like a, a client agency relationship. But I I just can say I understand the other side of it now. And I what just I want everybody to, get to realize, especially if you're on the corporate side, kind of listening to this on the other side, is that it's really hard for somebody who is in that position to say no. Um, and the reverse to that for the people who are more on the freelancing side is. You have to learn how to say no gracefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. you can say no with a caveat. Um, one is, is, you know, as April said, it's like, hey, you know, this is what the actual scope was laid out in a proposal that we both signed. So I'm um, alluding to something that we've already told you about, you know, when you actually set up these proposals. And maybe I didn't mention it as strongly as I should, but I'm going to right now. Make sure you and your clients sign these. Yes. These are your, become your contract, you guys. So make sure when you're setting up a proposal, somebody picks it, you are signing it. So you guys are both clear and you both are acknowledging that these are the principles and the terms for which you're going to do work. All right, so- and if somebody tries to push you outside, just say, you know what, it's, that wasn't really in the scope. I'd love to do it for you. Um, I can, you know, is, I could do this for, you know, this amount of money more. Um, it's also an opportunity for you to say something back if you to something that might be an additional opportunity for you. Say, hey, this is not really in our scope, but I see this as an opportunity for you. I'm, I'm happy to provide you a proposal for how much it would it cost to do this as well. And I think this is really important because – and I fell into this trap really early on, um, and April wrote a really great blog about it, about being a permalancer versus a freelancer, is that when you get in with some of these clients and it's a little bit more of an ongoing basis, you start feeling kind of part of the team. And that can feel a little weird because you're not a part of the team, but you want to be a part of the team because it feels a little bit more relationship-based. But then you kind of feel like you're getting sucked into a bunch of different you know, additional work or situations that you didn't really plan for or, or getting compensated for, and then you can always go back and ask for more money, which I did, um, but they didn't have it. So those are just kind of some you know some common situations that you have to like really understand and address and realize that your time is money. Mm-hmm. You're you're not a, you know you're, you're making a business here. This is your business, and people need to respect. That um, you're trying to operate as a business.
1: Yes. And one of the things that Ann and I do, because, you know, we've talked about the consultative nature and the fact that we really like to give value and we get excited. But one of the hard and fast rules we hold ourselves to is if the work is incremental to anything that is in the proposal, meaning that it is not listed anywhere in that proposal, it is a hard no. We are happy to, again, tell you this is what we think you need to do, but it stops there. And that is a really good way to preserve what you've agreed to and also honestly discipline the client. I I mean, and I don't mean that in a way that they're trying to be malicious or anything like that, but if you're going to give, 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 people are going to take, take, Mm take. That's just the way that it works. So we find that that is a good kind of point of clarification with the client, but also kind of a reminder to them that, hey, we weren't scoped to do this. And while we love working with you, we can't do it for free to the point Anne just made. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. All right. And the last one we have for this section is around networking. So we've talked about network off and on, but this is one that we're probably going to do a separate podcast on because we feel so very compelled about the importance of this. There's that old adage of, it isn't what you know, it's who you know. I had a really hard time with this when I was younger, and I was like, no, I'm going to pave my own way. I don't need help, all of those types of things. It's not true. It really is about who you know. And the the thing about networking that I have found in my career to be so important, and it's really important in the area of entrepreneurship, is you don't want to be cold-called networking. And what I mean by that is you have to cultivate and keep relationships as you go, and it's important to do it really purposefully because you don't know when you're going to need someone. And I don't mean this in a manipulative way, but we all have those people who we meant to have coffee with or, shoot, nine months have gone by and I haven't touched in with so-and-so. I am a list maker. I am a planner. We have talked about that. So I actually put reminders on my calendar of people that I haven't talked to in a while. I have monthly recurring lunches set up with an old coworker and we don't do them every month, but we do them every two months instead of once a year because they're on the calendar. And so I believe so strongly in networking and keeping those relationships because to the earlier point Anne made about asking for help, when you need help from those people, it's really natural to be like, "Oh, our quarterly coffee is coming up next Tuesday. I can ask Scott about whatever's going on." versus, "Shoot, I haven't talked to Scott in 2 years. I wonder if he'll pick up the phone for my call." And when you're getting your business off the ground, I mean, I would argue this work should have started early early on in your career. Thank goodness someone told me this when I was super young and Cincinnati's also a real small town, so it became really important from that perspective too, but you have got to put yourself out there, but then you have to cultivate the seeds of the networking relationships and also make it something that you're comfortable with. I mean- When you're young, you're like, why would that person want to meet with me? Or if you haven't talked to someone in a while, you're like, shoot, I really feel like this could be awkward. The point of this is you have to always be selling. And part of that is networking. And you never know what opportunity might come up by simply having a cup of coffee or a conversation Mm -hmm. with someone. So as you're working on the clients or in your business, you have to be working on those sales and those come through the form of all the people that are in your network.
0: Yes, and for me, who is extremely introverted when it comes to these situations, it takes a lot of emotional energy for me to uh, to do the networking. I find that it's very it's it's easier if you start small. Mm-hmm. Um and like I said, I would just I would start at the Hillman Accelerator program uh, talking to the cohorts, which is a very casual, very informal environment. I had slides. Slides are very comforting. Um, don't overuse them; it's, <laughs> it's not good. But um, it is very comforting to have slides, so you don't feel like you have to you know, speak just from your your brain and and, and put together something coherent. You, you you can have some focus. So start small like that. Um, and then you know if you if you need to bring a friend along with you for some more support. Sometimes it's good to have just a familiar face in the crowd. Um, if you're going into a networking event, and these are you know a tip from my my products research days at P and G, have a few questions prepared that you're just going to ask people. Mm-hmm. And then just listen, listen to what they say, and then ask another question from what they said. Just keep asking questions. People love to talk about themselves. And mm-hmm. this way, you really don't have to talk a lot. You just have to listen to what other people say and what they're going to take away from you. It's like, she's a really or he's a really great person because, you know, I just had this really great conversation with them. It's because you let them talk about themselves forever. It works. I. It just works. Just trust me on this. And then, you know, at some point, though, you know, you're going to have to kind of figure out how you're going to personally market, as, as April was saying about the self-promotion piece, which she struggled with. We, we've had a lot of conversations. Are we going to be speakers? Are we going mm-hmm. to do keynotes? Are we going to do workshopping? Are we going to do podcasting? And, you know, we have a tendency, e- each one of us, for different things there. Um, but in you know, the podcasting ones, when we lined on, we wanted to do and we love it. So, um we're doing that, but like keynote speaking for me, where I don't have slides, um, is like uh, it just scares me to death. So I decided I was going to, um, go and uh, audition for as be a TEDx speaker in Cincinnati five minutes, uh, like a five minute like talk. You have to give a five minute talk, no slides, nothing. It was excruciatingly painful. It, but it went fine. It went well. It was like a, a shock to me that I, I was so proud of myself for being able to go in there and do it, and you know, put it out there. And now after that, I was like, I, I can do the keynote thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, it it just opens up different ways that you're capable that you didn't actually realize it. It's kind of like. Anything else in life, like if you want to go out and run a marathon, you kinda of have to like train and practice in order to actually run the marathon. So just break it down in your head, but you're gonna kind of have to do some things that scare you. I said that before, I'll say it again. And that's in the context of networking. You're you just have to kind of plan it a little bit and make sure that, you know, you have you know, your your best ability to engage well in that situation. With a little bit of planning that I think this one works well.
1: Yeah, and I I used to coach um, my teams by saying that if you continue to push yourself, the hardest thing that you've ever done will make all the other things that you have to do so much easier. Mm -hmm. So you just heard Anne say, I did the TEDx thing. I had to memorize a five-minute speech. It scared the crap out of me, you know, like – So now nothing will ever be that scary for her again. And I think that that is another point about networking or really anything when it comes to your entrepreneurial journey. You can get in your own head and get super nervous and scared about something. And then once you go do it, it's like, oh, well, shoot, that wasn't anywhere near as big of a deal as I thought it was going to be, which actually I think leads nicely into our part three this time. Um, Instead of giving an example of a brand that does well or not so well in the space, we thought we would talk to our own experience and something that we either learned about ourselves or that was kind of like surprising and we hadn't thought about before. So for me, that whole idea of teaching people, coaching people, which I just talked about, when that left my world, my day-to-day world, I realized that I actually probably got more out of that than the people that I was teaching, mentoring, coaching, et cetera. And so one of the things that I have reconnected with and found, whether it's Anne, you know, making me put myself out there and speak or doing something like this podcast, is it re-energizes me in a way that I don't think I really knew that I needed for myself. I knew I enjoyed it. And I like talking about what I do. But what it does for me is. Yes, I have these conversations. I write things. I do podcasts. I speak, you know, all of these types of things. But when I go back and reflect on those, I'm always struck by something that was talked about or said or something I said that I was like, oh, shoot, that's right. That then fuels my work and reinvigorates me for the clients and helps me make all those connections that we've talked about before that make me better at my job. And I didn't know that about myself until I started this journey and went out on my own and decided to do my own thing.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I think for me, it's been, I am an optimist. I, it was, and it's kind of laughable, especially, <laughs> you know, based on coming from, you know, as April, I might be my PNG, uh, heritage, but, um, you know, really, um, I am an optimist. I, I I, think the one thing that I've realized in this ability, to, again, to do hard things is I can figure out just about anything. Anything I put my mind to, I can figure it out. And so even if I look at it, I'm like, I have no idea how that's going to happen. I don't know, I have any idea how I'm going to get there. But here's my goal. Here's where you know I, I want to see myself or I see whatever i'm thinking about progressing in the next year, two years, three years, four years, five. It may not look exactly at, or at all like what i am thinking is going to look like now, but i believe in my ability to figure it out. And i think that's really fundamentally like important for entrepreneurs cuz like what we've said at, a lot in the last two episodes especially is that, you know, it's not all going to work out. Yes. And, you know, everything that you, you decide is not necessarily going to be right. Or, you know, something's going to happen that it was totally out of your control that's going to shoot your plans like right through, you know, the gut. And those are things that you're going to have to ex- accept. It's like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. Well, now what? Now, what do I go do? What am I going to, you know, um, how, how am I going to recover? And I think if you can believe in your ability to figure it out, even if you don't know it now, you don't know how you're going to get there, you'll start having this mindset of growth and you'll be able to open yourself up to what else is out there that's going to help you put put you on that right path, whether it's people, whether it's... um, you know, training whether it is um, an opportunity to engage with you know another group. I mean, there's there's something out there if your your mind is open to the possibility of achieving what you want to achieve, no matter how big it is. You just have to believe that you can figure it out.
1: Yeah, and I thought I was an optimist, and then I met Anne, and I was like, wow, this is a whole other level. <laughs> but- <laughs> But it does allow us to, I think, keep our heads in the game. And when things don't go as we expect or want, I think that's a characteristic that we share to differing degrees that keep us moving forward. So, okay. We've thrown a lot at you between this episode and the past one. uh, Lots of stuff about entrepreneurship, lots of lessons that we've learned throughout our careers and lots of kind of stories about what to do, what not to do, what we've learned, all of those types of things. So that is all we have for you today. Don't forget the checklist. Oh, right. I can't believe I forgot my checklist. Yeah, I know. So, We have a checklist on our website. If you want something to kind of tick off as you go and keep track of your journey with all of the points we have made, it will be on our website for download. And with that, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover which helps us give real world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now go show off your marketing smarts.